Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me once again. And for the last time, at least for now, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Our focus text is once again on the 10th commandment in verse 17. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant and infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Amen. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the word to our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need your Spirit's work to open our hearts and minds that we would understand it and that we would follow it. O Lord, be with us and at work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, people of God, covetousness tugs and pulls at us so easily and frequently, doesn't it? It's a sin that many, if not most people, don't see or grasp the the deadliness and the far-reaching barbs of. But yet they are so far-reaching, aren't they? Never forget that. Remember how we considered last week that coveting undergirds sins in all of the other nine commandments, along with being the focus of the ten. And what does it do as it begins to take root in our hearts? It grabs hold of us, it pulls us down in bitterness and convinces us in a second to put self on the throne and unfurl its list of demands. Oh, how demanding our sinful hearts can be. I want and I deserve are two of its favorite places to begin. And as we look at our world and our neighbors around us, the cravings for what they have that we don't can flip on like a light switch. Something or someone that belongs to them catches our eye. Something resonates sweetly in our ears. Sweet-smelling aromas tantalize our noses. Or even the touch of something against our skin. All of these can be easy gateways into the covetous heart. But yet we need to be mindful of how serious God takes the sin of coveting. God pronounces a woe in Micah chapter 2 verse 1. There we read, Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning, they light, at morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. And yet, 
those things ought not to be so. God forbids us to entertain such thoughts and feelings. He calls us to guard our hearts and to control our actions. As we see in Micah, covetous devising and scheming and, and plotting the path of sin leads to things like theft and oppression. But God calls us to put off and to flee from those things that would disrupt our ability to love our neighbor well and to support them in the blessings and bounty that God has given them. Beyond putting off the old man in this way and, and fleeing from such sin, what other big thing does he call us to do? Well, he calls us to be content with what we have. The truth that the Apostle Paul proclaimed to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6 6 needs to resonate over and over again in our minds and, and seep deeply into our hearts. It really needs to, to marinate in and within us. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul said. Now as we conclude our consideration of the Ten Commandments, and specifically the Tenth Commandment this morning, let's look at more helpful things regarding the beauty and the practical application of the art of contentment. The matter of contentment and slothfulness, as well as our duty not to envy or grieve at the good of our neighbor. So I will ask you this morning, how has your walk in being more content been this week? Maybe as you considered the things that we studied and that I said last week in the sermon regarding contentment. Maybe the Lord used some of those things in your heart and life this week, drew your attention to it, drew your attention to what needs to change. Have you taken time to think about it and to examine your heart in the details? Have you gone to the Lord in prayer asking for His work in you, His help to get the sin of being discontent out? And to grow you in learning and practicing contentment. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so today. This is an important daily practice for each of us. We need God's grace to do this every day. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a book, some of you may be familiar with it. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment where he speaks to our great need for divine grace. And he says this, You can never make a ship go steady by propping it outside. You know there must be ballast within the ship to make it go steady. And so there's nothing outside us that can keep our hearts in a steady, constant way, but grace within the soul. The grace within the soul. And this is true, isn't it? We are in desperate need of God's grace to steer and to keep us steady in being content. Burroughs also encourages us in this way. Be satisfied and quiet. Be contented with your contentment. 
I lack certain things that others have, but blessed be God, I have a contented heart with uh, which others have not. My friends, having a contented heart is evidence of true grace and blessing from God. And by comparison, is something that all do not share. It is a true gift. It's a true blessing. Remember how truly great gain that Paul spoke to Timothy of in 1 Timothy 6.6. Remember what he says. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. But let's dive even deeper than that this morning for a few moments. And ask and answer, why is that true? Why is it true that it is great gain? It's true because of God-given knowledge and peace. Look at the reason and example that Paul gives, if you want to turn with me there to 1 Timothy 6. Look at the reason that Paul gives in verses 7 through 10. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, Paul says, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. My friends, notice a few things here. Paul reminds us that the saying, and some of you may have heard this, maybe some not, the man who dies with the most toys wins. Paul reminds us that that kind of saying is completely false. We brought nothing in, and we will take nothing out. Remember this. Even with the simple blessings of food and clothing, we will be content. And oh, if it were that easy, right, in many ways, on many days. Because if we had our list and our threshold and our mark, our full mark, like a gas tank, as to where we would feel content and be content, I think it's probably true that most of us would say that that list goes far beyond food and clothing. But Paul here really desires to recalibrate our thoughts on that, doesn't he? For he says, we come in with nothing, we go out with nothing, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be we rest assured that we will always have enough in the Lord and His good providence and provision for us. If you haven't been pleased with that, if you haven't been content with that, brothers and sisters, really examine your hearts today and ask Him to help you to be so. To be content with His good providence and provision for you. Christ is sufficient 
for us. And oh, that, that this beautiful and, and wonderful mindset and, and peace would be consistently present and active in us. Oh, that it would. For what can often come knocking at the doors of our hearts? Paul goes on to give an example of the discontenting nature of greed. The discontenting nature of greed. Greed lures us in temptation and takes us right to the trap. Riches and wealth, it, it can all be yours. And as we take the bait and the, the trap of sin snaps on us, we find ourselves drowning in foolish and harmful lust, which leads to destruction, Paul says. How much we need to grasp this, for while we're in our sin, we rarely recognize that we are drowning. And nor do we see our greed and lust as foolish or harmful. Because they seem in the moment to be oh so right and oh so helpful for us in our desires. And yet they are foolish and harmful. Is what the Lord says. But also see in this passage the severity of the matter as, as Paul said some strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That language, piercing themselves through, that should really grip us and grab us today. And why is that? Well, that's the language, as if someone were taking a spear, a soldier in battle were taking a spear and piercing it right through the gut of his opponent. Deadly. Deadly. But because of our, our willingness and our willfulness to get into this sin and to play around with the sin and to indulge in the sin, we bring this type of thing upon us. The sorrow. For when the law of God shines its light in our hearts, when the Lord exposes our sin, when He shows it to us, and He convicts us, He humbles us, He brings us to a place where we're like, oh no, what have I done? Many sorrows. Greed and pride and sinful lust always lead to and, and slay us with much sorrow. Don't let Satan convince you otherwise, beloved. Though he tries to make you forget this so that you'll return to it, don't. Stay grounded in the Word of God. Delight in the law of God as we just proclaimed in Psalm 119. Delight in it. Be thankful for it as it shows you your sin and as it guides you in the path of righteousness. As it guides you to Christ. Jesus lovingly brings this pain to the forefront of our minds so that we will stay away from it and stay fixed on Him and on the joy that we have in His providential 
So as we guard our hearts from greed and pride and lust, we recognize that, that these are all sins of a discontented heart. They convince us to think, the Lord gave, but He should have given me more. It wasn't right for Him just to give me what He's given me. I deserve, I want more. But how arrogant and foolish that is. Considering greed, what does God say through Solomon in Ecclesiastes 5.10? He says this, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. You know, we, we would easily think, man, if, if I could just go to Fort Knox, if I could open the vault and, and have access to all of the gold bars and the silver that's that's there, be tons and tons of it, right? I would be truly satisfied. I would be rich. I would be set for life and beyond that. My, my, my family, my descendants after me for generations would be fine. But Solomon says, after his long journey in trying to find truth and value apart from God, He says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied. You'll always want more. If one is truly content with what he has, does that give him an excuse to be lazy or slothful? Does it free or encourage us to not have zeal or ambition to press on, to grow and develop? By no means. The slothful heart has no excuse for its presence in a content person. And a content person, on the flip side of that coin, has no excuse for allowing and feeding slothfulness in their heart. It doesn't belong. And it must be dealt with where the one who is content is at peace and and satisfied with his lot. But that doesn't mean that he's free from the command to not be idle. Or that he is free from the command to have godly zeal and diligence in his calling and his walk before God. In fact, the slothful heart breeds discontent. Don't be fooled as you may be tempted in laziness and slothfulness to think otherwise. That somehow it's, it's really reinforcing your own contentment. No, it breeds discontent as, as self is still on the throne in a spirit of self-loathing and self-indulgence. It's unhappy and it really seeks to do nothing and be content with that. However, God speaks very strongly against the sluggard. He calls laziness and idleness and slothfulness sin. You can't truly be lazy and also be content and joyful in the Lord, God says. Proverbs 6, 9-11 say this, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? 
A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. My friends, a person given to laziness reaps what they sow. They do nothing and receive the consequence of doing nothing. Whether it be the man who doesn't work and therefore doesn't eat. Or other consequences of poverty and having more and more need because they've done nothing. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says this. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And it's not that we see the Lord say here that the soul of the diligent shall be made rich and think, ah, this is the Lord's get rich plan for me. Right? So I'm going to be diligent in order to get rich. No. Wealth, riches, are a blessing from the Lord. They're gifts from God. But what he gives, even when he gives in abundance, he also calls those same people to be stewards and good stewards of what he has given. Psalm 119, verse 2 through 5 say this, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Right? As we see the word of God, as, as we grow in understanding God's word to us, as we grow in understanding his commands, we can't but have, have a desire when we're walking rightly and thinking rightly about it, to be diligent in obedience and keeping his commands. Paul said to the church in Rome in Romans 12, 11, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another, not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So, seeing how that we are, we are to be diligent in our service to God and in obedience, but also free in diligence to have zeal and ambition to grow and to develop skills and, and the likelihood of ourselves and our families by the grace and the blessing of God alone. We should be diligent in accordance with His Word. But also as we consider covetousness, and what God forbids. He also teaches us in Scripture regarding envy and grieving at the good of our neighbor. Envy, in many ways, is synonymous with jealousy. And as we know, coveting is when you want something that someone else has. Envying is when you don't want someone else to have what they've been given. Coveting wants to gain something for yourself. Envy wants to deny something to someone else. It's the desire to tear down another person because of who he is or what he has. 
Envy says, if I can't have it, nobody can. Envy doesn't seek to obtain what it covets, but rather envy seeks to destroy it and the person who has it. Again, Solomon in Proverbs 14, verse 30, gives wisdom as it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Paul told the church in Galatia, in chapter 5, verses 24 through 26, he said, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And finally, James, in James 3, beginning in verse 13, said this, which is helpful. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Beloved, there may be times when we easily become convinced in ourselves and tempted to think that, you know what, it's, it's right. It, it's, it's good. It's okay for me to be envious of somebody else. It's okay for me to do that. It's the right thing to do, and it's even a heavenly kind of wisdom. Maybe it's a wise thing to do considering my circumstances. James makes it very clear, doesn't he? If you give any credence, if, if you put envy in the okay category in your life, be challenged and convicted by God's, by God's word when he says no. That is earthly wisdom talking there. And it's sensual and demonic. It's from the pit of hell. That type of wisdom is Satanic. We need to have our minds and our understanding rightly aligned with God's Word. But what does grieving the good of our neighbor look like as we consider such grief? It's having a negative and poor response to the good flourishing of our neighbor. We're not happy about it. It brings us discomfort and sorrow to see or to hear of their good. Psalm 112, verses 9 and 10 say this. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His Lord will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Think about that passage there for a moment. What is true of the grief of the wicked here? They were annoyed and angry to see the people's innocency cleared and their lowest state respected. For the wicked hated them and, and hoped 
to see their demise and their ruin. And they grieved that that wasn't happening. That the Lord was providing and blessing. His righteousness endures forever, praise the Lord. I'll leave you with this this morning. As you battle with being discontent and coveting what others have that you don't, seek the Lord in His grace that, that you would have joy and obedience and living and walking in the gift that God has given you in Christ. As He blesses you with being content, like Burroughs said, also be content with your contentment. Be content with your contentment, seeing it as the special blessing that it truly is. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, go before the Lord in your time of weakness. Go before the Lord and confess this very sin to Him. This is what you struggle with. Go before Him and ask for His forgiveness that is also His work and His blessing. That He would give this to you and bring you to a place of being truly content. But also guard your heart, heart from slothfulness. Don't fool yourself into thinking that the gift that God has given you in contentment gives you license to be idle or to do nothing. Not being diligent to use his many other gifts for the furtherance and advancement of God's and Christ's kingdom purposes and his glory. Guard your heart against evil as well. Don't give in to anger and bitterness when you see the good of your neighbor. But rather rejoice with them and encourage them with what they've been blessed with by the Lord. And finally, as, as we conclude our series in the Ten Commandments for now, I pray that you've grown in both your love for the living and true God, for your understanding of His Word and law, and your delight in it. May we all love God's law and seek to be faithful in keeping His commands. To love God with all of our hearts. And to love our neighbor well as ourselves. Amen. Praise God for His word. Let's pray again.